Pastor Ed Taylor pulling back the curtain so we can see how God is at work when we're suffering. God's work in us, especially when times are tough, are to do these four things. If you're taking notes, you want to look for these four things. This is the work of God in your life. To perfect you, to establish you, to strengthen you, and to settle you in the Lord. No trial is wasted, no difficulties not used by God in your life, but at least one of, if not four of these things are what God is working in your life. This is amazing grace. Hey, thanks for being with us today for Abounding Grace. We'll get right back to Pastor Ed Taylor in a second. Today and tomorrow, we'll be wrapping up our study of 1 Peter. As we tie up a few loose ends, Peter is going to reemphasize the reason the book was written, and it will serve as a good reminder to us to stand fast in the true grace of God. So if you're ready, let's see how Peter chose to finish things up. Take your Bibles, open them to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to pick up where we left off in verse 10 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Suffering and Standing in Grace. And here we are. We've come to the last study in 1 Peter 5, in the first letter of Peter. And we're going to end on the note that he began. So I ask you to open a chapter 5, but go back to chapter 1. And let's just remember how everything started off in verse 2. He said, elect according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace be multiplied. Jump to verse 10. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Look at verse 13. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 3. It says, As newborn babes desiring the pure milk of the word, that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. And again, chapter 4, verse 10 Chapter 4, verse 10. In verse 9, it says, Be hospitable to one another without grumbling, and as each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We started out looking at the grace of God, and now we're ending. It's like the bookends of direction in great suffering. The bookends of direction in great suffering is the grace of God. I mean, it's how God chose you and me. How we entered into our relationship with Jesus was the grace of God. It's his choice based upon not what we had to offer, but what God had to offer us. And look, you might be walking with the Lord for a year now, 
for five years now, for 10 years now. You start in chapter one, work your way to chapter five. No matter how much progress you've made, you are in a greater need of the grace of God today than you were even when you began. Because now you start in grace, but then you begin to continue in your own strength. You start to lean on your own understanding. You begin to look back, not on what God has done for you, but now you start to emphasize, well, look what I do for God. Look what I've done for God. And you leave the grace of God. So Peter begins the letter. He's an apostle of Jesus. He's a man that was used greatly of the Lord. He was enlisted by Jesus himself. And Peter is remembered for his faith, for his faithfulness, and not his failures. That encourages me. That when he's remembered, we we studied this when we were looking at all the men and women in the hall of faith, of all that they could have been remembered for, of all that could have been shared, what they were remembered for, it was called the hall of faith, not the hall of failure. And so God remembers our faithfulness that he himself gave to us. And I believe in all the Bible, Peter's life is recorded for us so that we might see a vivid glorious example of a life that was changed by the Spirit of God in a wonderful way. You know, when I see the world today, I shake my head at times wondering how God is going to reach into the depths of this world. Because it just seems to be getting darker and darker. The, the thinking is shifting. There, there's a, I was sharing with a pastor friend even yesterday that there's a seismic shift happening in our culture right now that comes around every, I don't know, 50 or 60 years. And it's a huge seismic shift. So much so that you see there's this, this burden upon those that are seeing the changes to want to stop the change. And they, they are wanting to stop. And I do too. I want to stop the change, but perhaps not the way that you want to stop it. And I would want to encourage you that the way that I want to see God change is by saving men and women, by rescuing them from sin. I mean, the world is going to be the world is going to be the world. From the fall of man, man, both Adam and Eve, men and women have been in rebellion against God. That's how it all started. And now we're seeing it more and more. And I think of someone like Peter, who was just living his life, just giving himself to to a fishing business with his dad, fishing business with his friends. And God rescued him, even rescuing him from himself in his own weaknesses, changed by the Spirit of God. He was changed from a fisherman to a fisher of men. Remember the last time we were in chapter 5, we were studying two of the three final exhortations or strong words to the suffering saints that Peter gave them. Pick up in verse 5, just by way of review, in chapter 5 now. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Verse 9, resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. And that's where we paused. We learned last time to humble yourself. Clothe yourself in humility. 
We learned last night to soberly resist the devil. We learned that there was always a battle for the believer. It never goes away. Any spiritual progress is met with great resistance. You want to grow and be used mighty of the Lord? Satan wants to destroy and devour you. He wants to distract you. He wants to take away your dreams and your ministry and your kids and your family. He wants your entire life. And so the answer we learned in verse 9 was to resist him. That's the key to victory. Resist the devil steadfast in your faith. That means we learn to take a stand on the word of God. And friends, if we're going to learn to take a stand upon the word of God, we need to use the word of God. We need to read it. We need to study it. We need to meditate upon it. It's a repetitive instruction that any pastor that's going through the Bible will do with you. It's read your Bible and pray every day. That is a key to your spiritual growth. It'll be very challenging for you to resist the devil steadfast in your faith when you're not regularly taking in the Word of God, washing your mind with the water of the Word, having your mind transformed by the Word of God. I mean, it's easy to take in all of the other input, and we do, and all of the other input changes us, changes our thinking, changes our perspective, and we need to take a stand upon the Word of God, refusing to be moved, refusing to be distracted, It means we'll also take a stand upon the power of God's Spirit, receiving, surrendering, saying no to sin, yes to righteousness. And with that in mind, verse 10 now, verse 10 is where we left off. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you suffered a while, perfect you, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. These are the final words of Peter to the scattered saints. He also spent some time in chapter 5 speaking to the elders and the spiritual leaders, those under great persecution with Nero. Here are his final words. His final words are committing you and me to the grace of God. May the God of all grace. God's work in us, especially when times are tough, are to do these four things. If you're taking notes, you want to look for these four things. This is the work of God in your life. To perfect you, to establish you, to strengthen you, and to settle you in the Lord. No trial is wasted. No difficulties not used by God in your life, but at least one of, if not four of these things are what God is working in your life. No matter how hard it gets, we learn to hang on to hope and to see these things. So number one, God, that, that, that commitment for Peter is that God would perfect you. You can circle that word and right next to it, equip you. Perfect, to bring a place of bringing together. Like, like the idea of this word in the original language is to adjust and to fit together. Like God is putting things together in your life because of trial. That's the exact opposite of what you feel. What you feel is like things are all out of control. Everything's chaotic. Everything's falling apart. That might be the work within the world. That might be work in your heart. But what God is doing is he's perfecting you and putting things together. 
letting things be taken away and then adding things to strengthen you. It was used to describe in the first century, a word to use to describe the mending of nets that have been stretched and used and broken. You can jot it down in Isaiah chapter 26, verse 3. I love this. The Bible promised, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Number one, you suffer for a little while, God, that he might perfect you. Secondly, that he might establish you. This is a great word too. It means to fix or to set fast. You might use this word to describe the setting of concrete where, where God is trying to firm you up through the trial. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, it says in verse 12, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God, to set fast like concrete. Thirdly, notice he says to perfect, to establish, and thirdly, to strengthen you, to strengthen you. This word literally means to make strong, to build you up like muscles, like, like a weightlifter, building up their muscles. The Lord wants to help you through it all, making you stronger, enabling you to face the demands of life. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We need his strength. We need his strength in times of great weakness, not our own strength as we prayed today. And then finally, the work in these final days, the God of all grace is to settle you, to settle you. This speaks of giving you a firm foundation or to add to your life security. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 10, it says, you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. Or in Ephesians 3.16, it says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. These are the four things that God is doing right now in your life. The world's falling apart, but God is strengthening you. In the New Living, it says, in his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus, so that after you've suffered a little while, he will restore you, support you, and strengthen you, and he'll place you on a firm foundation. Now, that's not what it feels like. It feels the exact opposite. As things are coming into your life, things that are outside of your control, or as the believers are facing here with Peter's writing to, they're on the run, they're unsettled, they're fearful, they're concerned. They are looking at life in a very weak place. And Peter says, no, you have to understand God is at work. God is at work. Notice again in verse 10, God is described as the God of all grace. It reminds me back in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that God is described as the God of all comfort. All comfort. All grace. Jump down to verse 12. He says, by... By Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I've written to you briefly, exhorting you and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. The God of all grace. The true grace of God in which you stand. Suffering 
and grace and standing, they all go together. Suffering, standing, and the grace of God. The very foundation of our lives is the love, mercy, and grace of God. Paul, when stirring up young Timothy, said this in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. He said, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, Timothy had a lot of difficulties, a lot of emotional concerns. He, he was more, a, more of a timid young man. He was put into great places of responsibility as a young man, inexperienced. And, you know, when you're looking at to encourage someone, it, we don't normally and typically encourage someone, you know, I want you to be strong in grace. I, I just want you to rest and relax in the Lord. No, rather when we're encouraging and exhorting people, we might say, be strong in the word. Or be strong in obedience. Or be strong in confidence. But Peter says it here. Paul says it. Jesus would instruct us. I want you to learn how to trust me. I want you to lean on the grace of God. I want you to be strong in grace. Because God is the God of all grace. I think of the time that Joshua took over leadership over the nation from Moses. You remember in Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 7, it says Moses called Joshua and said to him in the sight of all Israel, be strong and of good courage. The Lord is the one that goes before you. You know, that, that's a common encouragement. It is encouragement. Be strong. God is with you. Fulfill what he's told you to do. David, when he was talking to Solomon on his deathbed, said this, be strong therefore and prove yourself a man. Paul himself would use this phrase, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. But it's with Timothy and Peter, they say, you know what? You need to be strong in grace. What is grace? Well, grace is the unmerited, unearned, undeserved favor of God. Many times you might use the word grace to remember uh, a perspective of understanding grace as God's riches at Christ's expense. And it really cuts to the heart of who you and I are thinking that we deserve something from God. And we come with this attitude of, I have, so therefore you do. But the Bible would teach us differently that God has done and we have nothing to offer God. I mean, who are we to demand anything from God? I imagine you have come to a place, suffering will bring that to you, where, you know, I remember even asking God, just wrestling in my own humanity, just like, you know, is this the reward that you give to a faithful saint? Is this what it is, Lord, this kind of pain? And I just remember going through a season, and, and it wasn't in that moment, but it was a little bit later on where God very graciously saying, so, so Ed, so, so the, you've been a faithful saint, huh? You've been a faithful saint. You're, you, you have, it, it was almost like Joe being under the broom tree, you know? Joe, don't you understand who you're talking to? Do you understand where you were? I mean, anytime I'm sharing my, my testimony, it reminds me of just how far I really was from God. I mean, even as I begin to share it, it's hard to, it's hard to believe it's hard to believe just how far and how resistant and how anti-God I was in my life. And at the same time, I would probably say, well, I'm a pretty good guy. And I would find the worst person possible just so I could compare myself with the worst person. 
And I was one of those guys you would just look and go, man, there's no, what, what a wasted life. You might as well, let's move on to someone that's not so far gone. But that's not how God sees it. God reached out to me. He reached out to you by the grace of God. And it doesn't change. Our relationship continues in the grace of God. Our relationship will transition from this world to the next. How? By the grace of God. Wise is the servant of God that will realize that it's not, doesn't just start in grace. It doesn't just continue on in grace. It doesn't just end in grace. It is all grace. Because God is the God of all grace. Just as much as he's the God of all comfort. That tells me that the grace I experience, the grace I experience truly comes. Like, like if you're gracious toward me, that was God being gracious toward me. I receive it and I'm grateful for it. But he's the God of all grace. You could have never been gracious to me had God not been gracious to you. And we get to spread it around and share it. But I love that. He ends with this sense of like, I know it's hard. Because when you're going through suffering, you know, when you're really wrestling with difficulties, you have a tendency to elevate yourself in a place and a position that you don't belong. You begin to speak with a different language about what you deserve and what you need. It's been said that man is broken, but he lives by mending. And the grace of God is the glue. That mending, that work I mean, coming back and just saying, oh, Lord, you're so good that where I am right now, I'm suffering for a little while, but you're perfecting me, you're establishing me, you're strengthening me, and you're settling me. And really, Paul was just passing on what he already received. We know in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul was crying out for that thorn to be removed, the answer from God was, no. You're going to live with this, Paul. But when you live with this trial, when you suffer for a little while, Paul eventually would understand. He says, he would say in another place to the Corinthians, for this light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working out for me a far greater glory in the present. Like it's just for a moment, just for a little while, which gives me hope. Because that also tells me that my, the trials that I'm in right now, they could end before I get into the presence of the Lord. It could truly just be a little while right now. And that's certainly my prayer as I'm waiting upon the Lord. It's like, yes, I'd love for this to end right now. But ultimately, it will end as I end up in the presence of the Lord. And the answer from Paul, or the answer to Paul from God was, hey, look, my strength is made perfect in your weakness. And maybe that's a word for you today. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. You're listening to Abounding Grace and our final study in 1 Peter. We'll finish it up tomorrow. It's a message from Pastor Ed Taylor titled, Suffering and Standing in Grace. And you can hear it again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Pastor Ed, as we've just entered into February, we've got a brand new resource to talk about. It's a book written by someone who attends Calvary Church. Yeah, I'm, I'm grateful to introduce to you guys this, this month, our pick of the month called Ebenezer Stones. And the subtitle is Using an Ordinary Stone to Remind You of Our Extraordinary God. And Catherine McDougall is such a great sister in the Lord and, and had this burden uh, she's very articulate, great author. The book is really good. 
and on the back it says it's easy to get focused on our problems and difficulties. And when you do, your focus is no longer on God. You forget how God's been faithful in your life. Uh, the remedy is get your focus back on God and on the ways he's been faithful. And she uses that, that wonderful illustration of the Ebenezer stones that will remind us that stone of help, that place of help, so that it, it will prompt a great memory of God's faithfulness. I love to pick books uh, that I know will pour into your life and build your faith. And I'm confident that this book by Catherine, she is a faithful part, her and her husband, a faithful part of our ministry here for many years. And I'm so grateful to offer this to you. Uh, and it'll be a great add to your spiritual library, especially those of you that maybe have a tendency to get caught up in everything today and forget the faithfulness of God. So pick it up. Uh, it'll be a blessing and an encouragement to you, and I know uh, you'll think of Ebenezer Stones in a whole different way as she takes you through on the journey. That's Ebenezer Stones by Catherine McDougall. Call 877-30-GRACE and request a copy today when you give $25 or more to help support the work of Abounding Grace. That's 877-30-GRACE, or go online to calvaryco.store. Be back with us tomorrow as we place the finishing touches on our study of 1 Peter with Pastor Ed Taylor. That's Wednesday on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.